wanna fuck you like a movie boy. <laughs> I wanna film you from the inside. <laughs> now this is just a colonoscopy song. <laughs> This is what this is what your doctor sings as he's applying the lube. God, I can I can actually imagine my doctor singing that as well. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, we got us off to a great start. Um, sorry about uh, the last podquisition, everyone, but <laughs> but this will sound all right. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, yes, I'm actually I, I I'm back from Atlanta. Um, so I'm, I'm really catching up. Like this is actually Tuesday. We're filming, filming, recording this, um, very much like podquisition where, you know, it was recorded Thursday and released Thursday. This is, uh, recorded Tuesday and will be released Tuesday. Like as soon as we are done, I'm going to run and edit that. And I've got to get the Technomancer underway and box, box boy apparently came out. Like the shit just hits the fan when I'm away for three days. It's not good. It's not, not, <laughs> it's not good. Um, you poor, poor man. Um, it's, and I'm being sued all the time. <laughs> Accused of defamation again by I someone else. I did see else. that, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, I'd make a joke about having to keep my big mouth shut, but then that would be taken as some serious um, admission of, <laughs> of <laughs> guilt when I don't actually think I've done anything wrong. Um, I haven't done anything wrong. So shut up. <laughs> Welcome to the Spin-Off Doctors. I'm your host, Jim Sterling, and I'm joined by my fellow host, Conrad Zimmerman. Hello. Hello. How are you today, Jim? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm a little bit uh, a little bit worse for wear, a little bit travel-worn, a little bit uh, uh, weekend-worn. Um, how was your weekend? Uh, July 4th weekend, Independence Day, God um, bless the King. I, I spent it at home, alone. My wife is in Canada, and... Uh, I ate frozen pierogies. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, my, my life is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what isn't depressing? It's the Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. It, it, it's, it isn't, because there's no emotional <laughs> states that it can put you in. It's, it's just very it, there. Yes, it seems I- incapable of evoking any sort of emotion in the viewer. Yeah, like I, I, I just watched it, and it's like it's it's like motion picture Xanax. <laughs> you just watch it and feel blank, and when it's done, you're like, "Well, okay." Like I just got done, and and as soon as the credits rolled, I hit stop and said, "Well, I have just watched a film." And Which is, it's funny because the, the games actually can evoke emotion, I mm-hmm. think. Um, particularly the, the one that this is primarily based on, the, the Sands of Time. Yes, back when Ubisoft uh, was a company I had uh, a modicum of uh, respect for because they kept bringing out like really good fucking games. Um, very diverse, unique, original games. Um, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, uh, Beyond Good and Evil... Um, was all out during this era. Uh, so it was an exciting time uh, for Ubisoft games before they uh, eventually just fell into that one archetype that they have now, where all their games are very, uh, very similar to the point of being very like hard to uh, ignore. But yeah, Prince of Persia Sands of Time was a very effective game. It was very um, 
for as a game, it, it was obviously uh, fantastic. It was a, a great joy to play back in the day. Um, hasn't aged fantastically. I, I replayed it when they brought them out on HD a, a while back on the PS3, and um, didn't quite get into it the same way. But at the time, it was um, yeah, yeah. It was a, a it, it hooked me for a very long time, and the prince was a fantastic character a lot a lot of people uh, praised him at the time the way he talks to himself and talks to the player and uh, there's a very famous uh, sequence in that game that's just uh, some very simple environmental puzzling which has become all the rage since but back in the day it was a uh, uh, somewhat unique to have all that rule uh, wall running and flipping and jumping and and all the athletic stuff. Um, there'd been some games that had been doing it, but that game really uh, took everyone's attention with it. And there was a, a sequence with him and the the game's love interest, and he's just talking to himself, um, convincing himself that he doesn't have any feelings for her. And it's just this this really neurotic monologue that hadn't been seen very often in games um, back then. And got a lot of attention, a lot of praise for just this uh, real sense of characterization and reflection that you just don't see in, in other games. And I really haven't seen much of since. Um, a, a lot of characters are chatty. Uh, we saw that with uh, several E3 demos this year. Um, they're making their protagonists just say a lot, but not saying anything. Whereas Prince of Persia, uh, especially Sands of Time, the character talked a lot, but everything meant something, and it all all worked into building this character and changing him from this irresponsible young prince at the beginning of the game to uh, an incredibly responsible, uh, uh, weather-worn uh, hero at the end, to the point where the ending was very tragic. Uh, they tried to mimic it in the film and did not do it justice. They didn't do it an inch of justice. Uh, well, they they were they had a different objective than I think Prince of Persia Sands of Time did as a game because especially when you look at what comes afterwards with the warrior within and uh, the two princes that stuff feels like it was like oh shit this was way more successful than we thought it was going to be we better make sequels yeah yeah warrior within took me a long time to get over because they changed it so much. It was actually uh, notorious back in the day uh, for going grim dark, And it was one of the first games to really usher in that era of moody, gritty games uh, that, that would lead to such triumphs as Dark Sector and, and other similar experiences. And it was hard to get over because the prince was so likeable in the first game. And he had a sense of wit to him, and a, a, there was that great conceit of him telling the story um, to the player. And if you die, uh, you, you'll hear the prince just go, "No, no, no, no! It didn't go like that." And you'd replay that that from that checkpoint. Um, and it went from that, from this this really affable, um, carefree, who even though he grows as a character, um, is still in intensely charismatic to Warrior Within, where everything was dark and miserable, and he's being pursued by um, some monster, and bondage queens uh, after him, and it, it all got very... 
it all got very video games as we understand them today. Uh, but it was still a fantastic g- game from an interactive standpoint. I I got it uh, for Christmas one year, played played it for about an hour or two, and then didn't pick it up again until like March of the next year. Uh, at which point I found myself unable to put it down. And then Two Thrones, they tried to blend the two previous games into one by having that the alter ego prints and i never i never got too far into that one that one kind of lost me but i like the conceit of the idea of these these two princes in this uh one character um but the game itself just didn't quite grab me and then they had follow-on games well and and yeah i i didn't care for warrior within enough to finish it um it just didn't I just didn't care at all about what they were doing. And uh and and Two Thrones didn't inspire any greater interest in me when I tried to play that. So I made it maybe a third of the way through each of those games and just said, "Eh, I'm not really not really feeling it," which, you know, fine, whatever. I liked the 2008 attempt to reboot. That was 2008, wasn't it? That was the one that was all um had a kind of cartoony vibe to it. Yeah, it? a little a little more, yeah. It kind of uh, brightened it up and boldened the the lines of things and um I didn't really gel with it. I it, it was so backtracky and that was always the big criticism of it at the time. Um I just got very tired of it. It felt very formulaic to me and I just I couldn't stick with that one. Um, but opinions are mixed on that one, I think. Um, well, I had been concerned. I, like, I get worried about backtracking because I know that I have almost zero patience for it. And I, I, have, I can't play the Metroid Prime games, really. Like, I just get so tired of backtracking through areas that I tune out very quickly on those. Especially because I have a difficult time with spatial relations Mm-hmm. and video games in first person like that's a a real issue for me because you know a lot of the environments all kind of look the same and they have to have something i have to have a really significant like landmark in my mind to remember where i am in real life and i apply that to games and it doesn't work because everything is reused and gets dismissed as noise in my brain mm-hmm. so um yeah, it's but I I really that didn't wind up bothering me as much with that reboot attempt as I I thought it would and I actually did finish it and I found it to be a pretty satisfactory little game. Uh I it wasn't as good as Sands of Time was in terms of having that experience in that time, but I it probably holds up a little bit better gameplay-wise than than Sands of Time does just by virtue of being more recent. But yeah, it wasn't bad. I was kind of sorry to see them decide not to continue that story because there were places it could go that that didn't have to be grimdark, but could have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they had the um, very aptly named Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands. Which I didn't play at all. Which I... Completely forgot about. Yeah, like, I, 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 I have played it, um, and... Still can't believe it was a real game. Not because it was bad. Like it was it was a solid Prince of Persia game, but it was so suddenly here it is. Like I, I still remember buying it and just confused that I had it. 
Like, I still did, like, I, I had it, I brought it home, put it in, started playing it, and I'm like, I, I don't know why this has happened, or how this has happened. Like, they went with that reboot, and suddenly it was back with, um, you know, Yuri Lowenthal playing the prince, and them trying to carry on the Sands of Time stuff. And it was a, it was just, it was a very serviceable Prince of Persia game. But, yeah, I, I, can, I can't remember a fucking thing about it. <laughs> wow. I liked the original, like, the, the 2D thing. That was uh, a big draw at the computer lab at my school. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 the, uh, the old original. Yeah, because it was so fluidly animated for the time. I mean, even still, it, it looks pretty good. It's it you you could certainly do more with it now. Now that uh, technology has advanced and, and we're not all storing things on, you know, one point four four megabyte floppy disks. But uh, yeah, it that was a really solid fun game. And then then there was a sequel that was like that. That I I have a copy of it for my Super Nintendo that doesn't actually work. Like the cartridge is damaged. And so I can't play it, and that bumps me out. And it doesn't emulate well, apparently, which is weird. It's one of those odd games that seems to have problems with it. So I haven't, I haven't played that in years and years and years. But but the original ones were kind of significant, like at the time. They, it was it was Jordan Mechner kind of built a career uh, out of Prince of Persia just on the strength of this. Game that 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 draws a bit from Karateka that he'd done previously, but uh, was a really interesting, fluid adventure game that, that was pretty unlike anything else out there at the time. Of course, anyway. yeah, yeah, very very influential, and um, if I remember correctly, it was uh, it was in the the Sands of Time. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, like uh, you could unlock it, and and the full game was in there. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm actually 100% now that I remember it. Yeah, that was that was a fun Easter egg. Just put the whole game in. Uh, you wouldn't get that nowadays. No. You wouldn't get them giving a whole game away. In a, another, actually, I say that, but they did that recently with Shadow of the Beast. But Shadow of the Beast was shit, so don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, like Shadow I, of the Beast has always been kind of, yeah. Yeah, as I realized when I unlocked the original game in the remake reboot whatever and i played that and i'm like oh that's why this whole game is shit because look at where it fucking came from yeah it, it, it didn't provide much uh instruction at all as to what you were supposed to be doing in you know and, and you're just sort of and, and that was pretty common at the time but the only thing that it really had going for it was it visually looked really interesting the jump controls felt weird as shit it's just an odd game yeah yeah like it's fucking weird. Don't it's, bother playing it, but it's fucking weird. Basically. It's like Pitfall, as imagined by the writers of Heavy Metal magazine. Yeah, yeah, and and not Pitfall, which was you know I could I could still play Pitfall, right? And and feel like I didn't completely waste five minutes, <laughs> like the five minutes it would take me to get bored of Pitfall, right? But yeah, Shadow of the Beast, not very good. Um, Prince of Persia. Um, a series with a lot, lot of good games in it, and some weird ones. Apparently, there was a DS game, but I did, I, I just learned that looking at the Wikipedia now. 
Um, it was all touchscreen based. Mm. Came out in two thousand eight when they they kept trying to make one hundred percent stylus controlled games a thing. Ew. Which was a terrible time, and I don't care. Dark days. Yeah, I don't care how many people fucking say it. Those Zelda ones that did that were fucking awful. You don't don't do. Hold the touch screen and uh, like move the stylus to to walk, and then swivel the stylus around really quickly in a small circle to make Link roll. The uh, touch screen is not good enough for that. Fucking idiots. Kirby, and that's it. Yeah, do it with Kirby. Because Hal know what they're fucking doing. I should need to download that box, box boy, in a minute. Um, <laughs> right. Time to talk about the film. Yeah, so... Prince of f- Persia. Hang on. Because i got to do a gap. Oh, well, I didn't... I, oh, okay. I thought we were just going to talk about the film briefly before... Are we going to talk about the film briefly? Before? I don't know. If you want to. We don't have to. I forgot how to do these. <laughs> sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. This, All right. This was... Uh, Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. This was a big Disney production. Yes. Like, and and they were talking at the time, like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, this was uh, 2010 this came out. Pirates of the Caribbean was still a thing mm-hmm. that people cared about at all. And, and still raking in lots of money at the box office. And here they were saying that this was going to be the next Pirates of the Caribbean. Prince of Persia. They really Sands did expect it to be a big franchise. They did. They recall and, that. And and you you can see it in the script that that they're working with, like they seem to expect more to come as a part of this. Like this is just the beginning yeah. of Prince of Persia, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it feels like an origin story. They have one of those, yeah, yeah. like a completely new one that had nothing to do with the games. Like they. Which speaks to the, the the film's biggest problem is is it's just ab absolute utter trite predictability. Yeah, um, that's the film's biggest uh, thing is that it is it is action adventure films. The film <laughs> they hit ev like everything, uh, including the orphan boy origin story, which is just the moment that started. I'm like, okay, right, and now I know exactly how this film goes from here on out. As soon as you start with Orphan Boy origin story picked up by the king who respects his noble heart, wouldn't have happened. They'd have cut that kid's fucking hand off. They made him Aladdin. Is what they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. They made him Aladdin. Aladdin was allowed to get away with it because it's fucking Aladdin. And with Robin Williams, you know, (laughs) the laughs are guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) I said that so sarcastically. He was a funny man. He was a funny man. And and the genie was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but the batty but, song in Fern Gully was better. And this and this is not Aladdin. No. Right? Hell no. It doesn't have Robin Williams for a fucking start. No, we get Ben Kingsley. <laughs> what a trade-off. <laughs> ben, ben Kingsley making his second appearance in uh, in the, the spin-off Doctor's um, he Following Blood about, Rain. Yeah, first talked about him in Blood Rain, and to his credit, he doesn't put in a worse performance. No, he does not. No, he puts in exactly the same amount <laughs> of effort. It gets it gets the classic Ben Kingsley treatment of, I'm reading lines. I'm Ben <laughs> Kingsley. Fuck off. I'm bald. 
So that's something to look forward to for everyone as we discuss these. Um, speaking of which, um, got a lot of feedback after the last episode. Um, quite a few people don't watch the films. Yeah, yeah. That was, seemed to be overwhelmingly the response from people was that they don't watch the film. Yeah, which, which makes me think, why the fuck am I watching the <laughs> yeah, film? seriously. Like, I, I had to watch Need for Speed. <laughs> you fucks. Um, but it is interesting they find it just as enjoyable. And there are ones who, who watch the films, of course, and they find it enjoyable too. Um, I wouldn't be able to enjoy a podcast like this without having seen the thing. No. But I totally get and appreciate that people are enjoying it without having to... We're, we're clearly doing a good enough job uh, of doing it. I mean, no, no doubt when it comes time to finally do Pixels, I won't be encouraging anyone to watch it something yeah. tells me you really will just be able to well i mean i we all saw bob chipman's video review of it i didn't have to watch pixels to enjoy the shit out of that review so anyway whether or not you watched uh sands of time you're all very very welcome i mean that just spoke to the fact they wanted to turn this into a franchise the fact that their very first movie wasn't just called prince of persia yeah uh, they they clearly were going for it also <laughs> It's time for the first movie fact of the day. Um, while we speak of Disney and uh, everything, this is the second Disney film to ever have a PG-13 rating. Oh. After one of those aforementioned Pirates of the Caribbean ones. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that Disney hasn't been making shit tons of R-rated movies for a very long time. They just did that under Buena Vista Pictures. Yes. Uh, so this would have been the the very first Disney movie. Yes, with Disney on the letterhead. Yeah, yeah, the the yeah the <laughs> the, sh the shit they're proud of um, with with PG thirteen. So if you are under thirteen, you cannot listen to this podcast anymore. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry about that. That that's Sorry, should, kids. That should have applied to everything we've ever made. <laughs> we really shouldn't like be under the age of of. 900 <laughs> to have listened to any of the shit we've put out if you're no under 13 and listening to this right now call call child protective services and let them know <laughs> that your parents are unfit oh they they don't they won't have parents <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know what I meant by that neither I don't know it sounded incredibly classist when <laughs> I'm I, I was poor I'm just, I'm just like you, okay. I'm not now, but like I was homeless. You were just a, a like, an urchin on the streets. Honestly, I, I, my life would have been better off if I was caught stealing an apple and the fucking, the white king of Persia decided to make me as prince. Um, let's get that out, that out the way early. <laughs> white. Right there we go. Um, I think we're good to start on with the plot. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, Prince of Persia sends time. Following a brief poem about love and destiny, which I thought... Does that count as, as one of our notes about the, the pre-movie? Well, spiel? see, that's the thing. I It leads into one, because like I think there probably has been one other film maybe that has done some sort of just text intro instead of of giving us a uh, dialogue that might have been doom i think it was doom right possibly but 
usually you you get something like that and you expect it to be in lieu of exposition voiceover. <laughs> Um, but then we're we're dealing with a Disney budget. They can afford both. Right. So we're treated to a historical geography lesson about the Persian empire. (laughs) And, uh, and we learn that it's, it's ruled by a King Sharman along with his brother Nizam. White, white, very white, all white people rule in Persia. Interesting. Uh, already had two sons by birth. Yep. But he decides to adopt an orphan street urchin named Dastan. White. Also white. Who humiliates his royal guard after his best friend Biss. White. Biss white. I can't remember. Probably. No. Actually, no. He might not be. He might not have been white. I don't think Biss was. Alright, so we're one for four. (laughs) (laughs) We're one, one for five. We are 20% not white. You know what? That's still better than the ratio often is. Yeah. Fuck, that's sad. It's not gods of Egypt. No. Uh, His best friend Biss scares a horse into knocking off his rider. And we're shown how nimble Dastan is through a rooftop free-running sequence. And that's probably the reason why the king doesn't just have him beheaded like he should have been. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Okay, whatever. Uh, and he's taken into the royal home. And 15 years later... You know the thing, though? No one questioned it when he did it. And I'm like, how often? <laughs> how often has this king walked into town, looked at little orphan boys in trouble, and said, he's coming with me? Ain't no one complained. They all acted like this happens every day. I'm, so- <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying it outright. Because I don't need another defamation accusation <laughs> under my under my name, but I get a Gilles de Rai vibe from this king. Well, I think it I think it all clues back into what you were uh, commenting on earlier about how this is the Xanax of films, because that is the level of non emotional response that everyone has on this. Like yeah, they're all yeah. just so Prozac'd out, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and just. Mute, absolutely mute at the, and that I, I can't explain it. It's just weird. It's very it's incongruous. Just a, it's just another event that happened. Like right. everything in this film, it just goes from thing that happened to thing that happened. So fifteen years later, yep, the Persian army, led by the eldest prince Tus, white, finds the holy city of Alamut. Now the city which is outside the Persian Empire, has been accused of making swords for the Empire's enemies. But the king has decreed that the city should be left alone. Tuss decides to counsel his uncle Nizam, the whitest, and his brothers Garsiv and Dastan. Pretty white. But Dastan is off wrestling with his motley crew of irregulars. Of course he is! Like, I saw that and I'm like, of course he is. They're all like, where's Prince Dastan? You know, with their best um, uh, uh, Persian pronunciation of words. Where's Prince Dastan? And I was like, I bet he's off. Like, I, he's either gambling, seducing mm-hmm. women, or fighting. And what do you know? Fighting for money. Yes. Well, his best friend bets on, wagers on him. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he has to be retrieved for the war council. And at the council... 
Nizam shows weapons that were intercepted leaving Alamut by Persia's best spy. Now, Dastad reminds Tuss that attacking Alamut wasn't part of Dad's instructions, but egged on by his brother and uncle, Tuss decides that he's going to ha- go ahead and attack at dawn anyway, and says some kind of callous remarks about the beauty of the, the, the queen of the princess there. Kinda yeah, I got a very um, rapey vibe. It it didn't sound good. No, did not sound good at all. Disney. <clears throat> Dastan then tries to uh, get permission to be the one who leads the charge, and that pisses off Garsiv, who is like the, you know, I'm the the proud military brother. Yeah, he's all the hot-haired brother who doesn't approve of his uh, fucking, you know, irresponsible, reckless younger brother. And <laughs> Tuss is the, the you know, the cool-headed, um, ambitious but still loves both of his brothers, kind of guy. Like, it's the most action-adventure movie ever. It's funny, because, like, t- the relationship between Tuss and Garciv in a lot of ways remind me of the two sons of my father's best friend that I spent a lot of time with growing up. Like, I totally see them both in these characters. It's very relatable how you have that sort of older, more level-headed, even-handed brother and then the younger brother who has a you know is, is a little more aggressive yeah it's fascinating i how how i just instantly made that connection with them but that's the thing everything in this film seems to resemble something without actually being something as evidenced by how white it is for example yeah yeah i think you nailed it on the head with that description yeah it's all it's all evocative it's evocative, but there's no substance there. It's just the you're, you're presented the ideas and concepts of very, very familiar characters and storyline tropes. So Tuss agrees that Garcib, the horse guy, should go in first because Destin's not ready to lead an assault yet. Yeah, he tells him he's not ready yet because, of course, he does. Right. They're always not ready yet. Yeah, well, because by the end of the film, they will be. You yeah. know, that's 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 what passes for a dramatic character arc. I want to see a film where they are ready, yeah. <laughs> where they were already they're, ready. They're already... Actually, we did have that, and it was uh, um, all the Riddick films. No, that's true. He was definitely ready. Yeah, like, that's that's the difference. <laughs> Prince of Persia, Sands of Time could have been the new <laughs> Pitch Black. In that the was the path- name of that first Riddick film, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. yeah, Pitch Black. I got and... that right. Nicely done. Oh, never did see Riddick. I saw Chronicles of. I didn't hate it as much as other people. I saw. I haven't seen Riddick yet. No, I haven't either. I've seen Pitch Black. I have that on Blu-ray. It's a good film. Yeah, it's a damn fine film. Better than this film. Yeah. Yeah. What happened in this one next? Well, in the palace at Alamut, Princess Tamina is getting her white. henna done. Yeah, she's white. That's a good point. When and actually... Oh! Um, movie facts of the, the day. Um, where are we on this one? Right, director Mike Newell. Uh, he pitched, um, he, he cast Gemma Arterton as that character. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and this, this again, this comes from Amazon. This isn't defamation on my part. He <laughs> cast her because of how very old seeing the back of her neck made him feel. Whoa. Which 
I find creepy as a as a statement. That is that casts a pallor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Newell also cast Jake Gyllenhaal um, because he'd known him since he was a boy, which on its own is okay information. Coupled right, with cares. that, coupled with that, I'm thinking he found Jake Gyllenhaal as an orphan boy and just took him home. Oh, like a certain king of Persia. <sighs> yeah. So Tamina's getting her head, her henna done, and she's told that the Persian army is still hanging out outside, and that's kind of unsettling people. And so she decides to go prey on it. Yeah, that, that 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 fixes it. And and before dawn, and in defiance of his brother's orders, which I I thought you know that the attack wasn't supposed to be happening yet, but there seems to be somebody flinging fire you know tipped arrows at the walls at a different location, and I'm not clear why. Am I alone? Was that not confusing? Firing arrows at the wall. Well, yeah, there were, no, as he's doing his sort of, I'm sneaking up the side of the wall thing. Yeah. Right? Which, um, you know, is done by using crossbow bolts that his men fire, right? why are they doing, why didn't they just do it first? Right, well, why are other people firing flaming arrows elsewhere, is what I'm asking. Oh, okay. Because the battle should not have started yet. Yeah, they were doing it sneaky style. Right, yeah, these guys are supposed to be doing it sneaky style. And the actual assault is supposed to start at dawn. Why are these other fuckers shooting flaming arrows into the city? It's something to do, isn't it? It's something to show the audience so they don't get bored. I guess Sne- I... Sneaking is boring. I'm just... I was I was really confused. Like, I didn't think that... You know, were they diversion? Why wasn't this explained to me? I, I'm, I'm sorry. It just really fucked with me. <laughs> It was uh, during this whole sneak attack sequence that I was, like, just something clicked with me that made the entire film even less um, engaging to me, mm-hmm. was just how unreal everything looked. I don't know if it was the color scheme they were using or the set design or what, but everything looked just just that wrong side of fake. Yeah. Like, it has a very world of cardboard look to it. And and I just couldn't buy anything I was seeing. It looked um, just a little, a bit too cartoonish. Yes, in that's terms of exactly color. what I... Yeah, it, yeah I mean, everything they is... they were using to film it and... It's very bright a lot of the time. But when it's not, there's a lot of, like, high contrast that seems weird. Yeah, yeah, it just, it just visually just keeps me up by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. So, uh, Dustin climbs the outer wall of the, uh, of the city as his men shoot crossbow bolts into it, and he uses them to climb up one after yeah. another until he reaches the top. Should have shot him first. Seriously. Then uh, throws ropes down, and his buddies all sneak in. And uh, he sends his friends, his friend Biss, to open the easier outer gate. Well, he takes on the harder one, which is controlled by a mechanism, and he has a couple of sharpshooters take out the uh, guards, but they're still able to raise the alarm, and there's some fighting that ensues. Uh, but the gates are open, and uh, Biss signals to the army waiting outside, 
causing Tusk to have to redeploy to the now open gates because, you know, why do a frontal assault if you don't have to at this point? Yeah, and Tusk, of course, is, um, you know, uh, slightly annoyed, but of course impressed by his brother's cleverness, uh, while the other brother is seething. Yes. His glory has been taken because, because that has happened in every film you've seen. Pretty much. In the High Temple... Princess Tamina orders her men to defend a chamber in, in the temple and gives a dagger hidden there to one of her men to escape with, saying it's to be protected above all else. Now, Dastan, pinned down by oncoming troops, uses the gate mechanism uh, to dump burning oil and stop the soldiers. And, uh, you know, then landing in amongst this and having a very badass slow-motion walk bit where he draws his swords, he gets into a fight with, lo and behold, the guy that she gave the dagger to in the earlier scene. And he kills him in battle and, and claims the dagger for himself. Now, having conquered the city, Tusk, Garciv, and, Niz and uh, Nizam... Nizam? 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 Uh, yeah, Ben Kingsley is Nizam. Nizam! The, the evil, bold man... <coughs> With um, really, really heavy eye makeup. Yeah. Like yeah, he lays it on thick. And yeah, so you and immediately you see Ben Ben Kingsley in this role, and you think, oh, so he's the traitor. Yeah. I mean, you can't not have that thought. That's the very first thing that pops into your head. That's why you cast Ben Kingsley in these roles. Yeah, like it's uh, and and again, the film's not interested in uh, you know subverting that or hide it, or even trying to hide it like they know you know and they know you know how this film's going to end whether you've played the game or not because it is the most predictable film in the world so the uh, persians accuse the princess of making weapons which she denies and then tuss offers to unite their kingdoms implying a marriage it's at this time that Dastan enters, and Tamina observes that he has the dagger. And uh, she sort of acquiesces and asks that mercy be shown to her people uh, after seeing this. Now, Tuss teases Dastan for his failure to follow orders, but pleased with the, uh, he's pleased with the success of the assault, and he nearly claims the dagger as uh, homage. But he's stopped by Nizab who bring, brings word that the king is going to be arriving soon. And he's upset because he was disobeyed, and that is uh, troops occupying the city are going to anger Persia's allies. And uh, Tusk promises the king that he's going to find the weapons Alamut's been making in order to justify the attack. Um, and Tusk talks to Dastan, who uh, doesn't have a gift to give his father at, you know, the party that they're all going to have because, you know... Anytime someone shows up, I guess, there's a, a gift exchange involved. Yeah, apparently. Like, there's... A, and, and I like, there's all sorts of cultural things that I would just have no idea whether or not they were accurate. So, I just... This seems normal to me. Yeah. Right? Um, to be fair, with the amount of anachronism and things that are wrong in the film, it, it, it could be accurate. It could not. In fact... <laughs> um, whenever someone does speak um, uh, Arabic in the film, that's wrong. Ah, 
they try and make the the film a bit more authentic by sometimes not having people speak English and throw it, just tossing in a bit of Arabic when for the time period and the kingdom they should be speaking Farsi. Bum, bum. So there you go. Don't worry, I've got more <laughs> of that coming. In fact, I'm, I'll just roll <coughs> them out now, right? Because that's most of them. So I'll get this out of the way now. And there's more of them, but they were really long. Uh, so I only typed out the quick ones, but um, the, it's it is full of it. Like they did not do their research for this film. Um, later on, Conrad's going to be telling you about some ostriches. Ah, yes. Now these ostriches have numbers on them because um, it's a race event. Uh, they're using modern Arabic numbers, which mm. for the time uh, would have been incredibly primitive. Uh, and in their infancy, and just simply wouldn't have been recognised by those people. Um, you know, like, literally, like, a few people would have understood what modern Arabic numbers look like from the style they were uh, painted in. Um, at one point, the Mughals, and I've probably said that wrong because that's a Square Enix character, <laughs> uh, the Mughals of the Hindu Kush, uh, that empire didn't exist, uh, at the time, they're they're referenced in the in the film, mm-hmm. but um, the movie's set in the 14th century, and uh, that whole empire wouldn't have existed uh, for another whole millennium. <laughs> so that's good. Um, at one point, the uh, Hassansins are introduced, um, sort of latter day assassins, uh, an order of assassins. Um, in real life, first of all, they're called Hashashins, and they would uh, they didn't exist at the time. Because Islam was not a thing. Uh, <laughs> they they didn't know of it there. So. All right. There you go. And that's, ju- that's just a few of the things. Like <laughs> I said, I was too lazy to type out all of it. But there is so much anachronism going on. Which, you know. Um, I'm not being overly critical of that for a movie. But, you know. You've already called Jake Gyllenhaal a Prince of Persia. You might as well try and get some of it right. So yeah, and and, and it's interesting too because like the the uh, occupation of Alamut and you know the reasons for going into the war is a really really thin Iraq allegory. Mm. Like really thin, <laughs> incredibly fucking thin, paper thin. And, and almost as thin as Ben Kingsley's characterization. But this is Iran. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Tossa uh, then uh you know talks to Destan and uh and and supplies a gift for him to give to their father, which is a, a prayer robe that should make a, an adequate present. And he also asks Dastan... And I love how they try and fake us out on Tuss. Yes. they. Tr- I, could, I did say earlier that they, they don't even try and hide it, and I guess I should uh, yeah, uh, yeah. detract that a bit because of their weak-ass attempt to make us think that maybe Tuss is a bad guy. Um, well, and, because... and actually, that, I mean, then that could almost work. Like, that could almost be believable because he is the sort of more level-headed... Like, you can't... It, there's... Too much intelligence required for Garciv, for you to think, because automatically your assumption has to be that Garciv isn't smart because he's the aggressive one. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily true, but we're dealing with pretty simple tropes everywhere else here. So, it's 
stands to reason. Um, but yeah, you know, so that lends credence to the possibility that he could actually be a bad guy, and that could have been really clever. Yeah. Um, basically, what he does is he's all, you know, you owe me a gift as well for some reason. Um, this dagger you have looks interesting, and he takes the dagger off of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, and looks at it, and and then they kind of scupper that. Well, uh, Nizam comes right in and exactly. says, no, no, he got you the city and the princess. You should be happy with that. At which and... point you're looking at it and think, oh, right, yeah, because it's Ben Kingsley. He's the traitor, I forgot. <laughs> oh. So uh, Tuss also asked Dastan to present Tamina to the king so that Tuss can marry her, uh, saying that she's to be killed if the king should deny this request. Uh, now, these Tamina... are all the good guys, by the way. Yeah, these are the good guys. These are our heroes. Uh, Tamina and Dastan meet, and they exchange sharp words about the invasion. And then Dastan talks briefly with Nizam about the role of a brother to a king, which uh, is hmm, really kind of reinforcing that, okay, yeah, he's the traitor. Don't bother acting surprised later bit. Um, and then he's honored by the king for his success in the battle. And the king calls him a good man for having spared lives with his sneak attack, but says that a great man would have stopped the attack from ever happening. It's, like, really fucking passive-aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, for some reason, uh, he encourages insubordination. Which, as a king, in that time period, I don't know if, if Seems like a fly. good way to get beheaded. Yeah, this, this whole, a great man would tell his commanding officer... And next in line to the throne to fuck off. I, I don't buy it. <laughs> All right, Dad, what if I told you to fuck off right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't think something, that... Something tells me the king would then just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Rain it in. Dastan gives the king the prayer robe gift and presents him with Tamina. And the king decides that she will marry not Tuss, but Dastan. And before Dastan can answer, the king's new prayer robe begins to smoke, and he's burned to death inside it. And Dastan is, you know, blamed as the, the assassin. Because of course he is, because that's obvious, because we knew that would happen. Right, because he, you know, he gave it to him, so he must be the assassin, certainly. Obviously. Uh, and Biss is killed, and Biss being his, uh, his best friend, and the, I, we, we've established the only non-white one of the bunch. Oh, they got rid of him quick. Got rid of him fast. <laughs> don't killed. worry. Um, don't worry. Another non-white cast member comes up. Uh, um, he dies later. <laughs> uh, this is killed while Tamina and Dastan escape Alamut in the chaos. At camp, Tamina turns on Dastan. And in the fight to follow, Dastan activates the dagger which takes him back in time to the moment before the fight began. He does this a second time, just to make sure, and realizes that the dagger was the reason for the invasion, remembering that Tuss had tried to claim it. So, while we have... And we have to understand, you know, this was made... This, this story is set in a time before Ben Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So, there's no way Dastan could have known. Yeah, but but he is he is convinced that uh, this is uh, incriminating Tuss, 
in the betrayal and subsequent framing of him as the murderer of their father. Um, Dastan decides he's going to vindicate himself by traveling to the king's funeral at Avrat and explaining Tuss's deception to Nizam. Now, to do this, he'll have to travel through the Valley of the Slaves, a place filled with murderous cutthroats, and he takes Tamina along against his better judgment after she guilts him into it. Now, we learn that the sand released by the dagger is special sand, of which there is supposedly no more, according to that liar Tamina, uh, though lingering on a pendant nestled between her breasts uh, makes Dastan suspicious, and that's totally what he's staring at. Yeah. Because this is a PG-13 Disney film. Well, she actually does... Uh, she calls him on it. She calls him out. She's yeah. like, boy, are you looking at my fucking tits? <laughs> that is the direct line. She That's says, suck him or fuck off. Don't just stand there like a fucking goldfish at feeding time, dickhead. <laughs> that was an odd odd line to come out. It was weird. With that, with that accent she'd put on just yeah. for it. It, it was, was strange. Entering the Valley of the Slaves... Tamina faints, but it's just a ruse, and she knocks Destan unconscious, taking the dagger and leaving him to be discovered by the residents of the valley. Continuity error there, mini fact. Uh, the bone she hits him with is uh, in, on the wrong side. It's on a different side when the, the camera comes back to him after he's been knocked out. It's uh... just something to look out for. Also, at several times during the film, whenever you look at the underside of Jake Gyllenhaal's feet... You can see the souls of modern, sh like, athletic <laughs> shoes. Oh, well done. Yeah. Well done. Couldn't have gotten a digital effects artist to go in there and fix that. No, 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 no. Mm, that's just sad. Uh, so he's discovered by the residents of the, of the valley, including a talented knife thrower named Sesso and Sheik Amar, a, uh, uh, to whom this Sesso owes a blood oath. But all you need to know is it's Alfred Molina. Who, to be honest... I know! I love him in everything! Despite having no good dialogue to work with at all... Still manages to be charming he, as hell. He throws his all into it. Like, he, he's the character who should have the, the best lines in the film. Yep. And I guess he does. But only but, because they're delivered by Alfred Molina. Yeah, like... like they're not funny, even though they're supposed to be. Like, oh, he, his whole big joke is he's an entrepreneur who conjured up this image of, of these, you know, deadly, terrifying former slaves out in the desert to avoid paying taxes. And they throw in some satire about him talking, like, you know, being anti-government. And, you know, um, I, have, I have my real problems with making a, you know, a semi-heroic character out of him. But it's Alfred Molina, <laughs> and and I just I can't help but love him. I mean, it's he's the same asshole who would have supported the you know the invasion of Alamut in yeah. a lot of ways. But I love him anyway, and I I have I have a, a, an internal conflict over it. He is um he's the closest the film gets to getting an emotional reaction out of the, the viewer. Yes, he be, didn't because he can he can elicit a chuckle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a delight to just watch be himself, you know, do his thing. Yeah. Um, unlike Ben Kingsley, um, <laughs> Alfred Molina is is to this film what Billy Zane was to Blood Rain, in that, yes. you know, it doesn't matter that he's in shit, he's putting the, the effort in. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, they say this is supposed to be their next Pirates of the Caribbean. He's Jack Sparrow. We didn't get the main character, Jack Sparrow, you know, in, in Gyllenhaal. No, Uh, no. He's not. We got Orlando Bloom from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that's, that is exactly what we got. Which, funnily enough, Orlando Bloom, little fact thing. Um, uh, Orlando Bloom was considered for the role of the prince. Of course he was. Yeah, as was a very prominent um, Persian actor. Um, only joking. Zac Efron <laughs> was also considered for the role. <laughs> uh, it's funny because it's sad. Yeah. <clears throat> so so we, we'll, we, for those of you who are listening, who for some reason still listen to my content despite hating... Um, my political opinions and leanings. I mean, God bless you for carrying on. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to ease the pedal off that now for you. Yeah. All right. I've had. I've had my fun with it, so I'm just going to ease up. Orlando <laughs> Bloom and Zac Efron, though. <laughs> so we uh, learn that the legend surrounding the Valley of the Slaves is a ruse designed to hike she- to hide Shikamar's ostrich racing ventures from tax collectors. Uh, Tamina has been put to work serving drinks, and uh, Amon then turns on Dastan, revealing that he knows his identity, and seeks to collect the reward on his head, and he takes the dagger and tosses it to some guy to be melted down for its jewels. Now, Dastan escapes into the ostrich track, and Tamina slows pursuers by dropping a crate of weapons for the crowd to pilfer. And Dastan uh, retrieves the dagger from Amon's employee along the way because convenience, yeah. I guess. Um, and I did. I skipped over the bit where uh, Dastan takes the sand out of the pendant from her neck and puts oh, it yeah, into the yeah. dagger. Yeah, so it's reloaded. That happened, guys. It, it yeah. Um, arriving in Arva- in Avrat, uh, the pair pose as slaves to gain entry to the city and find that only Nizam and Garsiv have come for the funeral, meaning Tuss is still back at uh, Alamut. Dastan slips a note into Nizam's boot from his father's funereal coach. So he's like laying on top of his, his the corpse of his father while he does this. And it's not actually said in the, like, like it's not explicitly stated in the film, but in the script, it does make a note that... Um... Dastan has a boner when he does that. <laughs> oh, okay. That's horrible. That's... It's horrible laughing at your own jokes, and it's horrible that that was the that that was the joke you wanted joke to, the one you chose to laugh at. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, listener. He then meets with Nizam and denies killing the king and reveals his knowledge of the uh, dagger's powers. And when Dastan gives the cloth containing the dagger to Nizam, oh, lo and behold, it contains the nutcracker from, you know, the guy whose coach they were carrying earlier. Yeah, there was a, a nutcracker earlier in yeah. the film. And, it had and, been switched with the dagger. Yeah, it was Chekhov's it. nutcracker, you know. Yeah. <laughs> by that lying asshole. Uh, Dast- Who, to be honest... If she'd have just been straight up from the beginning, would have avoided so much more of the hassle that's in the film. Mm-hmm. What is it with these people that protect ancient secrets, that stop them telling the truth? Well, I think it's fear that knowledge of the ancient secrets will lead to their abuse. It always fucks up. Now, if if you're listening to this 
podcast and you're a member of like an ancient order out in the <laughs> desert or the mountains or, or you know ice caves i can see that is. being a big uh a big segment a, of our audience i think it's like our third biggest demographic people just alone in empty rural areas yeah probably yeah. with secrets mm-hmm. if you're guarding ancient secrets that could destroy the world usually it's a good idea to like just fess up if 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 it's a choice between that and something bad happening usually your decision to keep quiet for the good of the world will probably just make things harder for you just tell jake gillenhall what the fuck is up if he asks so the uh dastan then observes that nizam's hands are burned and realizes oh my god of course you're ben kingsley (laughs) He, you poisoned the cloak, which killed my father, uh, and knowledge that he then implies, he then implies that he's learned this knowledge by comparing his relationship to Tuss with Nizam and Sharmans in further discussion. And so, not only is he, uh, duh, I'm an idiot, I should have realized Ben Kingsley, but then he turns right around and lets Ben Kingsley know without doubt that he knows. Yes. Terrible at this. Yeah, I mean, Ben Kingsley ain't too good at it either, considering he turned up with the burnt hands. That's true. And, like, stick some gloves on, mate. So now seeing that... It's that that easy to fix. Gloves. You're the vizier, you can get gloves. You dick. So now seeing that this is a trap, Destan escapes and uh, does another rooftop chase thing and is eventually confronted by Garsif, his militaristic brother. Now, Dastan professes his innocence. I went for a poo at this point. Oh, did you? Yeah, right. at, at this point in the film, I turned the uh, volume up to see if I to try and hear it from the toilet. Right. But I, I didn't quite uh, hear everything. Um, I did pick up the general gist of what happened. All right, well, tell me what I you think happened. I went for a happened. poo before I went to weigh myself and found out that I lost eight pounds over this weekend. Which nice! Awesome because... I think it's because even though I spent Saturday drinking lots of wine and eating burgers and Sunday was road trip back, which meant, of course, I just ate Pringles the whole time. <laughs> Sunday, I walked for several hours around an aquarium and all I ate was a chicken sandwich that day. And that's how what losing weight works is you have like a really horrible time one day and it pays off <laughs> drinking loads of wine and playing Hero Quest. Yeah, I can see how that would balance out. Yeah, huh. So, um, Destan professes his innocence to to Garciv. No, he doesn't. And Garciv has no problem with that. (laughs) I'm sorry. And attacks it. I'm sorry. I I, I, I just felt being being really naughty. Well, you were on the toilet. Um, But no, no, as as I was going from the toilet, um, I I, I sat down on the toilet. And um, poo came out of my anus, <laughs> and I wiped my anus clean of poo. Right. Washed my hands, of course. Don't want to be dirty, boy. Um, I know a lot of people follow George Carlin's method of don't wash your hands until you get shit on them, but I'm very fastidious about germs. Germs from uh, a poo anus can go through ten sheets of toilet paper. That's what I was told when I was a kid. And I've always held true to, uh, like, like keeping that in mind. So wash my hands good. Soapy water. 
then went to the kitchen to go to the scales. And as I passed the door, I heard the um, hot-headed uh, brother s- trusting Jake Gyllenhaal. And I said, oh, of course he did. Yeah, no, it was just that he didn't have any problem with it. Yeah. It <laughs> seemed very quick. For, for, for the least trustworthy, like the least trusting and most hot-headed brother, it seemed that a resolving that whole conflict in the space of me doing a push <laughs> seemed quick. Yeah, yeah, it was quick, yeah. No, yeah. He... And I'm not the longest pooer in the world. I'm not saying I'm a world champion shitter or anything, but, like, I wasn't being leisurely. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's really more a matter of Dastan says, I didn't do this. It, it's, it's the, uh, it's the, the, what's the name of the, uh, the fugitive. It's the fugitive scene. You know, right. where he's standing there and he's like, I didn't kill my wife. And he says, I don't care. It's that scene. Yeah. Damn helicopters going by. Yeah, I had the helicopters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. wouldn't have been surprised if we saw a helicopter in the background of the fucking Prince of Persia. But that's that's what this scene is. He's basically saying, oh, all right, well, then when I kill you and you're me and, and you know, your judge, you'll, you'll ascend and that'll be fine. It's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> About whether or not you're guilty or innocent right now. Little boy with a job to do. That's right. And Dastan pretty handily, like, pretty quickly defeats him in combat, but doesn't kill him. And then again escapes into the crowded city. Um, Tuss, now king, has come to Arvat to hear news. And Nizam claims that Dastan came to kill him and that he narrowly escaped. And that Destan's ultimate goal is to start a rebellion by weakening Tuss's new reign. And so to prevent this, Nizam says there should be no trial and that Destan should just be killed on sight. But Tuss wants to demonstrate to his people that he's just and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, and, and he insists that Destan be put on trial, which is kind of foolhardy decision making, uh, in my opinion. He really should have just had him killed. Uh, in response, Nizam visits the the Hassan Sin. <laughs> and you're gonna get yeah. to hear me hesitate every time I say that. Yeah, the Hassan Sin. Um, they are like Persian ninja with mystical powers to predict the future and control snakes. Yep, and they they were called the Hashashin in history and wouldn't have been around at that time because right. of the Islam thing that I mentioned earlier. But uh, they do uh, they get hired by Nizam to kill Destan. Now, in the desert, Destan finds a sleeping Tamina and confronts her, revealing that he has learned that the traitor is not Tuss, but Nizam. And as the dagger's abilities to turn back time a minute aren't really that useful to this guy who, you know, is pretty much on the end, at the end of his life, he deduces that Tamina knows more than what she's telling. All things considered, at least he's not, like, an idiot. Like, he does deductive reasoning pretty well, and it always makes logical sense that he would come to the conclusions that he does. The only shortcoming he seems to have had is not recognizing a Ben Kingsley when he saw one. Yeah, exactly. Other than that, he's been sort of spot on with the observations and the CSI shit. So, good on him. Um, And now there's a motorcycle. Uh, A... uh, 
A sandstorm approaches and the pair take refuge in a tent, and Tamina tells the legend of a sandstorm that was once sent by the gods to wipe the earth clean. And a young girl begged the gods for mercy, and they gave it, sweeping the sands of the storm into a great hourglass, and giving the dagger to the girl so that she could act as its guardian, as only the dagger could penetrate the walls of the hourglass. Now, if the dagger were inserted into the hourglass and activated, one could turn back time as far as one desired, but it's forbidden. And so Dastan realizes that this is what Nizam wishes to do, to go back to his childhood and allow his brother Sharaman to die in a lion attack that Nizam had saved him from. Now, Tamina explains that this can't be allowed to happen as it would destroy the sand glass, releasing all the sand, and allowing it to fulfill its original purpose of killing all humanity. So, in order to fulfill her duty as a guardian, she has to take the dagger to a sacred temple where it can be kept safe. And Dastan agrees to accompany her on this task, and we see that the uh, Hassansin are in pursuit of them, riding in the middle of sand dervishes across the desert, which, uh, badass, actually. Yeah, they were actually, um, uh, for, for disposable antagonists, um... Not unenjoyable to see in action. No. They were actually well designed and costumed and, and varied. They actually made all of the the different ones varied. Even if they did have silly names that I could see when looking at Amazon's casting. Oh dear. While watching. The one that fires arrows and things from his wrist blades. He's the porcupine Hassanshin. Oh. Sorry, Hassanson. Hassanson, yes. Yeah. Oh my. Um, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. No, and and the other one was uh, I think they just called him the double blade Hassanson, and the other one was just the leader Hassanson. Oh, then they 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 so really only one of them had a a name, mm-hmm. and he was unnamed in the film, and they decided to call him Porcupine. That's fantastic, poor guy. And then, but they uh, the combat sequences using them also you know that's where you see the real the best application of CG in the film. Yeah, you know, like the effects surrounding the use of the the dagger time are okay. They're interesting, I guess, but they're you know really clearly computer generated and and don't do a whole lot to dispel the, that illusion. Whereas the the chain whip stuff that's going on with the Hassanson uh, looks really cool and and actually pretty effective visually. I I was surprised at how well it it had been done. Yeah, well, I mean, they they put budget into this. Yes, this they did. Is, uh... This will be among the bigger budget ones we've we've covered uh, on the show today. Like you know, Disney yeah. were throwing money behind this. Yeah, thing. well, it was uh, between hundred and fifteen and two hundred million, according to Wikipedia. There you go. So yeah, yeah, they put they put cash into it, and it shows. It's just everything else is so bland. You know, it's like dry as the desert in this. Yeah, well, I think that's actually part of the reason why I get so little out of the film because. Like, it doesn't even have that lo-fi charm that some bad video game movies can have. Right. Like, it was so competent. It was so solidly done. You know, it was solidly directed. It was solidly performed. It, the effects were, were good. Um, the color and the, the, the scenery and everything, as I've said, was, um, you know, visually uh, hard to get around because it looked so fake, but it it wasn't bad looking. No, uh, and, and it wasn't. It, it wasn't inconsistent either. 
No, no, yeah, absolutely consistent throughout the film. Um, but so it just it just goes to it was a conscious choice to make it look that way, and for you know it didn't really work. I didn't yeah, think, but they achieved what they wanted. Yeah, and like it, the film hit everything it wanted to hit, except being enjoyable. <laughs> Uh, and and part of the reason was, I think, is because it hit everything as expected, on time, dutifully, like an English husband servicing his <laughs> wife. It was just, uh, yeah. yeah. I was making fun of of, of English societal um, stereotypes then, and realised I was just mocking myself. Yep. And giving more people who speculate about my private life things to ruminate <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, so when Destan and Tamina stop to bathe at a stream, they're found by Sheikh Amar and his men. Yes. Who are angry at the destruction of their racetrack in the aftermath of the riot that they'd started. Which leads us to... Um, final fact. Final fact of the day. Uh, Prince... No, Sheikh... What's his name? Shikamar. Shikamar. Um, him. Uh, Alfred Alfred Molina. For some reason, I forgot the actor's name for a moment, even though we were praising his socks off uh, <laughs> just a few minutes ago. But Alfred Molina, he's talking to the one last ostrich he has left. And gives us this talk about how ostriches are suicidal. I, I have no idea if that's true. But apparently they have suicidal tendencies, and he's like, I have to stay with her all the time and make sure she doesn't hurt herself. Um, and it's a male ostrich. <laughs> yeah, you can tell by the colour. Uh. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the a female ostrich is more grey in colour, whereas that one had your more classic ostrich look. Mm. Which is a, a male ostrich. Well, there you go. Once again, Hollywood taking a role from a from a woman. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, not only whitewashing, but uh, man stridging. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Uh, so they are uh, Dastan and Tamina are taken captive by Amar, so he can collect the bounty and sort of make up his losses. Now, at camp that night. The Hassans attack with their snakes because they can control snakes, mm-hmm. and they quickly overtake the surprised camp. And Dastan uses the dagger to travel back to the moment the attacks start, and remembering where all the snakes came from, kills them all. Good job, Dastan. And you know the Hassansen is like unnerved by this, which mm-hmm. I guess you would be, because yeah. when you you know are expecting to have an enemy completely unawares, and then he manages to successfully target all of your snakes. Yeah, you'd think you've done this a few times by now. That's unusual. They were probably, like, like very self-doubting at that point. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that would be a crushing blow to one shot. Yeah, to self- self-confidence just really hammered by that, I would like, think. I've normally got this. <laughs> like, porcupine, what do you think went wrong? <laughs> I don't know, leader. On the trail the next day, Destan explains that the Hassansen were disbanded by his father, and that Nizam must have kept them intact secretly. That nasty, nasty Ben Kingsley. As they fuckface. As they reach the Hindu Kush mountains, Amar wants to turn back, but is enticed to help Destan and Tamina reach the temple with promises of tax-free gold being there. 
Now, uh, Garciv, tracking Destan, finds the camp where the snake attack occurred, showing that he's on the right track. And Destan's party reaches the temple, and he gives Tamina the dagger so she can take it inside. But Sesso tells them that all the people here are dead, having been killed recently, and Destan recognizes it as the work of the Hassansen, which means that Hazim, or Nazim, knows about this place. Uh, so Tamina says she has to insert the dagger into the stone from whence it came, which will draw it into the mountain from which it can never be retrieved, but she'll have to sacrifice her own life in exchange. It doesn't get more they stuck than that. They should have got someone to that. do that in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, like, they could have, it could, this could have happened like two, three generations after the, the girl who saved the world got spared. Yeah. Right? You know, could have just picked one a long time ago. But everybody was too fucking selfish. Yeah, but you are right. This, it, this is a stuck as stuck gets. I uh, didn't want to, didn't mean to tread over that because that's very important. It, it is, it is just, it is just so fucking trying. Mm hmm. <clears throat> so. Garciv appears suddenly and captures Destan and Tamina. And Destan tries to tell him of Nazim's treachery and the secret existence of the Hassansen. This which... is when I went for the poo! <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't poo earlier, I pooed here. <laughs> which Garciv disbelieves until Destan suggests that Nizam would not want him to get a public trial because it would put his plan at risk. Which is exactly what Niz Nizam had said uh, when he warned about a trial earlier, you know, and not wanting to have one. Not for those reasons, but yes, he'd said exactly the same thing, that, you know, we shouldn't publicly try him. So Garciv comes around to the idea that uh, Destan might not be the bad guy. Yeah, and here's what I meant earlier, that for that character that has been established to have had that quicker turnaround, that is too much character change for too short a poo. Yeah, he... It's... <sighs> yeah, I am sorry if earlier my poo talk was confusing, but, <laughs> but very much like the sands of time, now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And you're right, it is a little bit fast. I think that he was so, you know, he so ably predicted exactly what Nizam would do, it, it kind of casts some light on it, you know, yeah. or, you know, or could, yeah. could make someone think twice, and I don't think Garciv's that smart, but even still, like, he's, he's, he is determined, and he shouldn't give a shit, he should still not give a shit. Uh, but so be it, doesn't matter, because the minute he steps out of the temple, he gets uh, hammered in the chest by Porcupine Hassanson. And uh, he goes down. So, so much for that. Yeah, he's dead. Um, and fighting happens again. Uh, while the fighting happens, Tamina goes to place the dagger in the stone, and Destan follows her, offering to take her place. But now, I, hey, you're never going to guess this. Oh, no, what? You're not going to believe it. But okay, only I'm, I'm a guardian from... like her, like Tamina, is empowered to put the dagger into the... To, the rock and oh, sacrifice. I know. I know, right? Who'd have thought? Totally oh, epic fuck. twist. What are they gonna do? Before she could do it, a Hassanson appears, strikes her down, and distracts Dastan. And then uh, 
a viper comes in and crawls across Tamina and sniffs her a bit, and then moves to the dagger, and returns to the head of the, the assassins, who, seemingly satisfied with this outcome, despite the fact that Destan's still alive and that's what he was told to do, calls off the attack. Dastan, after having been saved by Garciv at the last minute, by, uh, this would have been Two-Blade Hassanson, I guess? I, um, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I didn't quite get the full name of him because Amazon cut it off a bit. Mm, mm. Well, he goes to his brother, dying brother's side, and, uh, Garciv apologizes to Dastan and asks him to save the Empire. Uh, I, you know... I guess that's appropriate. Like, this is the point at which you should believe him. Oh! Totally 100%. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were taking a poo this whole time, weren't you? No, 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 This is when you went to take a poo. No, 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 no. no. The, the poo saga is done. Okay, just I check it. I promise you. I promise you. Well, it's, it's... Hey, look, the poo saga is way more interesting than the rest of this, so if there was another uh, the twist Hassan's coming... The Hassan's naming saga. Oh. Now that's... That's changed. Okay. It's not the full name of that other Hassanson, that other one uh, we just referenced is, and it's it's the most on the nose name ever, Hassanson Double Bladed Halberd. Oh yeah, yeah, that is yeah. exactly what he was holding. Yeah, apparently alternate names are Hassanson Grenade Man, <laughs> Hassanson Leader, despite the other one being the leader. <laughs> And Hassanson Long Razor. <sighs> so, God, now I want to see if there are uh, alternate names for the other Hassanson. Um, there's Hassanson Whip Man. Mm-hmm. Hassanson Giant Scimitar. <laughs> and, ah, oh, Hassanson Long Razor, um, although it says alternate names, is actually a different one. Mm. So, there you uh, Collect them all. <laughs> No, a better Hassanson. Grenade Man was a different Hassanson as well. Hmm. So they weren't alternate names. It was they're all different characters. We've got Hassanson Leader. That's a lot of diversity. Yeah, yeah. that's more Hassansons than I remembered in the film. It's impressive. Um, but I will read them off just in case you're collecting them, um, because it does it does look like one side of an uh, like an eighties nineties action figure toy line, <laughs> like the Hassanson forces versus, you know, the Hansformers or something. Hassanson Leader, Hassanson Porcupine, Hassanson Whip Man, Hassanson Giant Scimitar, Hassanson Double Bladed Halberd, and Hassanson Long Razor, and Hassanson Grenade Man. Alright. So, th those are all your Hassansons. <coughs> so, Garsip dies, and then uh, Dastan stands up, and Tamina's just, like, there now. Like, she's just there all of a sudden. Yeah. I, I, and she came to and is standing outside, and she's very upset because the dagger has been stolen. And the Hassanson okay. delivers the dagger to Nizam, cutting open a perfectly good snake in the process. Couldn't have waited for that to pass. Like, really? Yeah. And after burying Garciv, Dastan resolves to return to Alamut and stop Nizam, and Soso silently encourages Shikamar to accompany him. And once there, Tamina learns that the Persians are working through the tunnels below the temple and will soon reach the sand glass, and that the dagger is in its chamber inside the high temple, guarded by the Hassanson who killed Garciv. 
Soso volunteers to deal with this Hassanson, and feats of incredible knife-throwing prowess follow. Uh, ending with the Hassanson dead and Soso fatally wounded, but able to toss the dagger out the window to Amar as a final gesture. So there you go, we're out of non-white characters again. Just in case you're keeping track. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nizam arrives in the chamber to discover that the dagger's stolen and orders his men to find and kill Destan. Okay, I'm, I've got to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. Because there's been a massive development. Oh, more in the Hassanson saga? The, the Hassanson Watch 2016 <laughs> has had a major outbreak. The Hassansons were named as Lego figures. <laughs> Lego made Hassansin as part of their Prince of Persia movie Lego set because, again, they were banking on this being a big thing. Gave them all names. Wow. So, yeah, uh, according to this, the Hassansin leader is called Zolm. The razor glove Hassansin. Um, I don't remember him from the film. I don't know if they made him up for this, uh, but he's called Tamar. Porcupine is called Setam. Giant Scimitar Hassansin is called Ghoul. And Double Blade Hassansin is called Gazab. And the leader comes with little red plastic Lego snakes. So that's good. <laughs> so the, uh, and, uh, so, uh, Shikamar gets captured by the Persians. And the head of the Hassansin shows up and tells Nizam that they've reached the sand glass. But now Nizam yeah. doesn't have the dagger necessary to use it. So it's a whole comedy of errors thing going mm-hmm. on that for one, Nizam. Z- Zalm. Uh, Zalm. Zalm, yes, Zalm. Nizim, the, the... Right. Now, Destan takes Tuss hostage in the throne room and lays out all of Nizam's plan, which Tuss disbelieves uh, because the sands of time are just pagan madness, he calls it. Now, Destan shows Tuss the dagger and instructs him to press the jewel on it to see its power and then stabs himself with it to encourage Tuss to do it just like a bit more quickly, maybe. And Nizam watches in and Tuss, now doubting him because of Destan's actions, Tells him to stand back while he considers the conviction Destan demonstrated with his suicide and activates the dagger, rewinding time to a few seconds before Destan stabs himself and Tuss stops him from repeating it. I, I'm shocked at this turn of events. It's totally not, none of it is what I expected. It was also shocking. Mm-hmm. The, the stabbing Absolutely. himself, uh, I never would have dreamed to guess that that scene was going in that direction, right? It was a great moment of trust that really fooled me for a moment. I, I felt like it was a real test of character, and I didn't think that Tuss would, would go go for it, you know? Right, but he, he saw it through. <sighs> <laughs> Nizam then comes in, kills Tuss, <laughs> just marches in, unsheaths, unsheaths his sword, and kills Tuss. I will honestly say that bit did. That was the one surprising thing in the film. Not necessarily that Tuss died, but that that whole scene was for nothing. Yeah, there was, and there was no pretense about it when he did it. He's like, "Oh, you you know now, shink dead." <laughs> one fluid motion as he unsheaths and yep. slices his neck. Um. And then he has Destan restrained while he retrieves the dagger. 
Nizam leaves, but before Dastan can be killed by the guard, Tamina leaps in and distracts him, allowing Dastan to get up and kill the guard. This happens a lot. Has anyone noticed this? Like, a lot of the, 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 we'll just call it murder that Dastan performs, uh, happens as a result. Oh my god. What's up? (laughs) You know what's up. Is that? Yeah. I was just said. a picture of of Lego Nazim. (laughs) Oh god. I thought he was a mariachi. (laughs) No. It's Lego Nazim. Yeah, there's a, if you're in, if you're interested, if you want to add to your Ben Kingsley collection, um, there is a little Lego minifigure of Ben Kingsley as the evil Nazim from Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Uh, doesn't look like him. Oh, God. <clears throat> so, um, Dastan kills that guard, and Tamina observes that the guard has the mark of a guardian on his hand, meaning that the guardians got infiltrated at some point, and this is how Nizam knew of the Sand's existence. So the secret's out, right? Yeah. And that's what happens when you keep world-altering secrets to yourselves, and just don't spread it with the larger world. Only bad people who want to take advantage of it come seek it out. That's just how it works. Um... Because at the end of the day, right, you can put in as much regulation as you want. But if a bad guy wants to get hold of the sands of time, they're going to get the sands of time. It's true. And the only thing that will stop them is a good guy with the sands of time. (laughs) That's what this film's theme is. It's a whole big gun control allegory. Nizam begins his descent to the hourglass, but Tamina, of course, knows a faster path. Because, <laughs> because she's the high priestess of the temple, duh. Uh, and so that could allow her and Destan to beat Nizam there. And they walk along a narrow path hidden by sand, which begins collapsing after a bit of, a bit of uh, poor temple craftsmanship falls from the ceiling. And uh, Tamina makes it to the safety of a platform, but Destan gets separated from her and falls into a lower part of the temple, basically shortcutting the shortcut. Yeah, pretty much. And the Hassanson leader is there, uh, Zolm. Zolm, Zolm, Zolm is there, and he fights with Dastan. But Tamina catches up and pulls the whole "Why are you hitting yourself?" bit with his trained viper, giving Dastan again the opportunity <laughs> to stab him through the chest. Uh, they kiss and approach the sand glass. And, and uh, by the way, I am breezing over the significance of that kiss with, ex- I'm giving it exactly the gravity with which it is earned in because, this film. Because it was there to be there. Like, it, it it had to happen. Right. And they arrive, it was, it really, it was there to provide that three-beat delay so that Ben Kingsley could make the distance up so that they both arrive at the... Sand glass at exactly the same moment. And, uh, the two fight, Destan and Nizam, and because Nizam fights dirty, he's winning. And he basically knocks Destan off the edge, and he's sort of clinging on, and then he knocks Tamina over, and he catches her. And she tells him to let go of her because he's got to fulfill his destiny of saving the world from Nizam. And she releases her grip and she falls screaming his name into the sands below. Now Nizam plunges the dagger into the sand glass 
And Dastan, like, immediately flips open the storage chamber, letting the sand out. Super incompetent. Oh, yeah. Like, way to go. Like, he's never opened it. He might have to figure it out first. You just went and did it for him. Idiot. And so the sand starts flowing out. And after some time passes, with sand flying around and and reusing footage from earlier in the film to, you know, uh, show time and events, I guess, in some visual manner, uh, he manages to close the lid again and uh, pulls it from the sand glass, sending himself and his arms spinning off into the void, which then seemingly returns Dastan to the moment he collected the dagger in the first place. What a startling, perfect coincidence of script writing. It's brilliant. Um, he's there immediately following his successful sneak attack on Alamut. He discovers that Biss is still alive, and as Nizam and his brothers move to enter the palace, Dastan stops them and tells the Persian soldiers that the attack on Alamut was predicated on a lie about weapons development. Just reminding you again of the thin Iraq allegory. Yeah. And I think at this point, um, the film is trying to tell us the origin of Ben Kingsleyism. Oh. Like, having traveled back in time, Dastan becomes the very first human in history to know a Ben Kingsley when he sees one. Right. So that's how the legends started. Yeah. I get it. All right. Nizam tries to claim that he's crazy. Then points out that Dastan led the very attack they're celebrating now, and Dastan re- expresses regret at not having prevented it in the first place, and reminds Tuss of advice that their father had given Tuss before the campaign, which only Tuss could have known at this point because he was alone with his father and hadn't told anybody, leading Tuss to trust Dastan far enough that he orders that the spy who found the weapons be brought forth to explain. Now, seeing things are not going his way, Nizam pulls a Ben Kingsley and attacks Dastan. Now, I've got to call into question the wisdom of doing this. Yes. At this point, it's still my word against his word. Right. And there's he's got no a... guarantee the spy will be found dive or divulge the information. And he's got a, there's he's, no guarantee of anything. He's got a pretty good relationship with this spy. You'd think that could be managed. Yeah. Not to mention he's the king's brother. Right. Like it, it, it's... And everyone was already so quick to fucking distrust Destan the moment he gave him that cloak earlier, which granted hadn't happened at this point. But Kingsley was already like banking on people not trusting Destan. So he already knew that like he could sway the people better than him. He had just done so when he made fun of Destan for being lightheaded from leading the charge and the crowd laughed. I... I just feel like he proper fucking Kingsley yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, he's quickly overpowered, uh, and when he gets up and goes to stab Dastan in the back, Tuss kills Nizam. Uh, in the throne room, Tuss apologizes to Tamina for the attack and suggests that the two kingdoms strengthen their alliance through a wedding between her and Dastan. Dastan presents her with the dagger, and this sort of you know, seems to be a, an indication to her that something's up with this dude. Uh, and she encourages him to walk with her, and they talk past one another with the smugness that only comes from knowing you know something someone else doesn't know. Yeah. And then they stop at a fountain and say that they're going to have to get to know each other better. And the film ends. 
<laughs> like <laughs> pretty much that and and that, yeah that's it it's uh we get uh, we get a little more poem about destiny and love and that's it and then yeah some some shit song started and i just turned it off me too away. if there's anything after the credits i've not seen it uh, i did hear that it's the first time thanos appears <laughs> Just just at the end there. Um, right, yeah, so that was Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Uh, we'll be back in a moment to uh, just discuss our thoughts on the film in a little more detail. So, Conrad, did you like Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time or not? I, I have I no... I've got to stop you right there, actually. Okay. Because I'm looking at these... Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time Lego set, <laughs> which incidentally uh, had the smallest amount of Lego sets of any Lego run. Of course, the Lone Ranger had more. Yikes! Um, there are three. There are three Destan Lego figures. You got Destan. You got Destan shirtless. You got Destan with no scabbard. Three of them. You got Princess Tamina. You got Sheikah Ma. You got all all of the Hassan Sin, including the little tiny ones who didn't do anything, right? There's no king. There's no Tuss. There's no the other brother, right? Mm-hmm. However, you do have Ostrich Jockey. And, I might add, no ostrich. <laughs> Oh, that's the part that stinks. See, like, if there were an ostrich, the ostrich jockey would at least serve a function. But the fact that there is no ostrich to go with the ostrich jockey just makes it an insult. But I think that that speaks to, um... Actually, oh, no, my my mistake. Oh, there is an ostrich? My mistake. I was just looking at the, the, the list of minifigures, and then I went and clicked on the Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time, the ostrich race box set. That does include shirtless uh, Dastan, the ostrich uh, racer, and two ostriches. Oh, whew. Um, did Dastan? No, he never wrote it. Ne- never wrote no. an ostrich. No. So this is he uh, ran from them. Yeah, this is expanded fiction. Um, <laughs> the Lego set has been rewriting the film. So according to the Lego version of this film, there was an ostrich race between a shirtless Hassan and one ostrich racer. Uh, there are two Alamat guard figures, and Ahsoka, who is that one random guard that was given the dagger at the beginning. Oh, that fought Destin and, and who Destin. I'm glad they gave off. him a name that was important. Yeah, why have you got Nizam as a figure if you're not going to have any of the people Nizam interacted with apart from Destin? I I don't. No Tuss. Well, but I think I think. Tuss is more important I, than Setam the Hassansin. I agree, but I think it sort of speaks to what uh, it seems like Disney was attempting to set up with this film in terms of its franchisability. Because it's, it's as if they require, they require Dastan and Tamina as characters to prop up and propel this plot to such a degree uh, that uh, Tuss and Garvin, they get the threadbarest archetypes, which are enough for as much as they're in the film. 
But they they really, and along with Shikamar, they should have been leveraged more heavily so that there were li- like likable characters that maybe you want to spend some time around and not just these. It's not, and Dastan's pretty likable too. He's just sort of there. Yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, he has like the bare minimum roguish charm that yeah. was needed. Yeah. Like, but it is bare minimum. And Tamina is is the feisty, challenging, uh, you know, woman who has a wisdom that he clearly lacks, and and she uh, has a, a a presence of mind and understanding not to trust these people. You know, so she, she's not a damsel. I don't feel. Um. So yeah, it, it's not that there's anything particularly bad about this movie. It's just so mediocre throughout. You know, yeah. it's all very, very competent. It's I, I don't have any specific com- complaints other than the fact that it's just not very interesting. The characters are stock and thin. Uh, there's ac- The action sequences show up right when the action sequences need to show up in order to keep you from falling asleep or like being like, why am I doing this to myself? Uh, then there's, you know, a quick little bit of action, and for some people, it's like, oh, eye candy, and for me, it's like, oh, my excuse to look at something else, um, because I don't have to pay attention to this anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not, it just, it hits all the beats, and there's no, it provides no justification for itself in the end, other than to have been a two-hour use of your time. Yeah. And not one you feel terrible about, necessarily, I don't think, but... But you don't feel good about it. No. And I think one thing that really hampered it was, because they were clearly banking on it being a thing, they broadened... Like I think the reason why it's so predictable and trite is they tried to make it as inoffensive... Like, like doesn't offend, doesn't require you to think about it. It's familiar to everyone of all ages. Like, they tried to serve up, like, the most vanilla film. The most, this is an accessible thing to watch. And in the hopes it would draw a big crowd and and lead to a franchise. Um, And when you compare it to the game, and I'm not one of those purists who expects a, a film based on a game to be exactly like the game. The problem here is, the plot of the Sands of Time video game is the plot of a really good movie. Yep. The careless prince who himself fucks up the Sands of Time and, like, kills everyone in the castle and deals with all these fucking monsters while the vizier takes control. Um, You know, cut out the orphan boy shit, cut out all of the... You know all of the the stereotypical the stereotypical shit the 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 lack of fantasy that was actually in this film there was not a lot of fantasy in the film there was you know the whole uh, minimal use of the time travel thing but otherwise it was a very bland swashbuckler mm-hmm. um, when they could have had a, a a real fantastical film. Um, the relationship between the prince and the character whose whose name I sadly forget in the um, in the game uh, of them hating each other and and that turning into a potential love affair that in the end is completely wiped clean because he undoes everything by reversing time after growing as a character sees the uh, the, the woman again and she doesn't recognize him and he 
having matured, just lets her go and lets that romance just end. Um, it's just such a better story than the film um, and would have made... A, it's got the potential to have been a really, really good movie. Um, and they didn't touch any of it. No. They, and like They attempt a, you know, she doesn't know who he is at the end, but they don't make it the tragic thing it is in the in the game. No, because um, they're banking on this being a success and them using the two of them as, you know, the new relationship couple adventuring thing. And, yeah. and they were really overconfident on that. Yeah. And as a result, you know, their attempt to, I think their attempt to make this a film that everyone would love turned into something that, Everyone who saw it, they didn't hate it. Yeah, but it didn't give any. It it, it it's there's no purchase on it. They it made a movie everyone can shrug and, at. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a movie that that no one will, you know, despise. Yeah, and that's not where you want to be. Like like better to have had a whole bunch of people who hated it. At least then it would have been notable for something. Instead, it was just, meh, there, forgotten, no more films. And I, I think that, uh, I, I think it would be very, very difficult to find a human being on this earth who would say it's their favorite, right? And, yeah. And, you know, even a film... Can you imagine the person whose favorite <laughs> film is The Prince of Persia, Sands of Time? Like, you know what? I'd even understand more someone saying that about Blood Rain. Right? Like I don't like, I I wouldn't let that person like look after my kids or animals. No, no. But I'd I'd understand the existence of that human more than someone who can hand on her honestly say, "The Prince of Persia: Sands of Time" was my favorite movie ever. I'd have to ask if they'd seen more than like a dozen films. I think that's that's the way it would have had to have been. Like 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 many of the people who review Uncharted games, um, for it to be your best game ever, you can't have played many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and Jillian Hall was fine. Yeah. You know, I I don't think anybody put in a bad performance, uh, but. Only Alfred well, Molina I mean, put in a really good one. Yeah, only Alfred Molina um, went above and beyond. You know, he he was this film's rule of hand. He was this film's Real Julia. Um, and I don't think the, stri the script gave nearly as much to work with. No, no, he struggled. Like, because he, he doesn't have memorable lines. No. He doesn't have funny... He doesn't have funny lines. The only thing that's keeping it afloat is Alfred Molina just... It's his delivery. Yeah, and, and he's, he's got a presence. delivering it all well. Yes, yes. He's, um... Like, he's, he's, he's a scene stealer. Yeah. And he's, he's... That's what he's fucking good at. Um, and just... Just a waste... Pure waste of his talent. Yep. This film. Yep. As opposed to Ben Kingsley, who used exactly as much talent as you would expect. Yes. Not a waste of his talent, because the man is... He's more talented than this. But he didn't use any of that talent. Yeah. He stopped using that talent like several decades ago. <laughs> so whatever reserves of it, he has stocked up. Like, I'm, I'm assuming Gandhi 2, <laughs> like, which will be the last film he ever does, will be magnificent. Uh, because he's saving up all of his talent for Gandhi 2. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it, it, again, it's like you could certainly there are certainly worse ways to spend two hours of your time than Gandhi watching this movie. Some detective agency. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but yes, yeah, it's, the, there's no reason to really, I don't, I don't feel, I will never watch this again. No, no. My wife will probably um, like to see it and I will, I will say, here it is, dear, you can watch it. <laughs> Unlike uh, Need for Speed, thank God I could get this one on a rental. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for some reason I just decide to get them off Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause it's quicker and I always do this last minute. Um, so yeah, rented. We'll ne- will never. Wa- I think we've said this statement before about um, at least one other movie on this show. Like I can guarantee you. I think we said about Need for Speed. I can guarantee you. I will never see this film again. Nope. Never in nope. my life. Like aside from maybe accidentally catching a glimpse of it while someone who who has cable at their house. I mean, I got rid of that shit ages ago because you know. It's the year 2016, for God's sake. Current year argument. Um, if I'm ever around someone's house and they're flicking through cable, like I may accidentally catch a glimpse of this film again one day and think not of the film, but of this recording. But I will never see this film again. Yep. That's, that's about the size of it. It is that's... totally unoffensive and forgettable. I mean, except for the fact that everybody's white. It's a little offensive. Yeah. Because it's, it's the Prince of Persia. Right. I don't know if, if, if anyone noticed yeah. that. It's hard to tell because it uses so much, you know, Iraq allegory. <laughs> that it's hard to fucking tell. And it's hard to tell what year it is because of, you know, the Hashin, the Hashashian there. And the fucking Nikes that Gyllenhaal's wearing. Um, but yeah, that's that. What are we doing next time, Jim? Uh, a film that I... Have seen before, have seen more than once in the past, and will actually fairly happily watch again. Uh, we will be watching and then talking about. We won't be watching it on the show. We will have watched and then have. We'll be doing <laughs> talking about it. Uh, Silent Hill. Yeah. It's about time. Also, Brickopedia. Good name for the Lego wing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good site. That's a good one. Nizam has black legs, the upper parts of which are printed with his gold robes. His torso is also black with nougat See, hands. I thought he was a mariachi, I swear. It is printed with gold designs, once again representing his robes, as well as a purple sash. His lined face has a scowling expression, as well as a goatee. As Nizam is bald, he has no parts on top of his head. Ah, uh, there you go. The Lego wiki is extensive. <laughs> this is the smallest set from one of the most forgettable films ever made. And that's a whole paragraph describing the Nazim Lego model. And that's something to think about. I think that's a good way to end the show. That's uh, just a little something to think about there is uh, the level of detail in the Mariachi-looking Ben Kingsley leg. Do look it up. It does look exactly like a Mariachi figure. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed this show more than the film... Because the film was not unenjoyable, but it wasn't enjoyable. It was just there. Yeah. And I hope this podcast was a little bit more than there for you. Um, if you enjoyed it, you can, of course, see more of us at Fishchark. Uh, Fishchark Marketing. It's a comedy podcast we do with Paul Sincere. You can see that at fishchark.com or the Fishchark Marketing YouTube channel. Um, you can follow Conrad at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter. And that's the name of his YouTube channel as well, Conrad Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. He's... Um, uh, you got through playing Wasted? 
Yeah, I did, but I didn't actually get it recorded. Um, because what happened, I lost my, I lost my save file. And I started a new save, and I was like, all right, I'll play till I die. And, uh. and I'll, you know, then I'll start recording from that point. And then I never did. <laughs> I actually finished the game. Uh, but I, yeah, I'll be playing some, some more new stuff on there. Oh, and I've got a new, uh, audiobook thing that I'm doing also. So if you like the, um, the narration that goes along with this and, and, you know, like to fall asleep to the sound of my voice at night or something equally creepy, you can, uh, you can buy an audiobook of me reading Call of the Wild right now for like four bucks. So that's it's actually a good reading as well. well thank and you. That's that's available via That's at my website, ConradZimmerman.com. ConradZimmerman.com, there you go. Um so yeah, yeah, do check that out. It's, like I say, it's a it's a good reading. And we will see you in two weeks for Silent Hill, and I will see you again on Podquisition. Uh, which this week will star uh, Justin McElroy from Monster Factory, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Sawbones. Such a delight. Um, yeah. He's my um, favorite of the McElroys. He, he, he is as well. He is, he's mine as well. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I knew him back when we were both um, just like randoid, randoid bloggers. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see him again because that was the last time I saw him. In now he's a big so. deal. Massive, yeah, yeah. I mean, hugely successful in videos and uh, audio. So, really excited to talk to him. Um, you know, I went from a, a respected peer to a big fan of his. So, yeah, that's going to be cool. So, keep an ear out for that. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.